Greetings, embers. Welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. Yes, everyone has a new nickname now, the embers. All of you keep this Phoenix aflame and this channel going. Thank you so much for your support. I would like to thank the reform members of this channel. CAG, Interscare Wifey, Denise Sess, Through Scrutiny, Samantha Place, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Norman DW, Chris Helias, Cindy Cleveland, and Patty's Niece. If you would like to learn how to become a member of this channel or would like to buy me a coffee as a special thank you, those links can be found down below. If you are new here or haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and comment. Not only does it help and support the channel, but it also reminds you of every time I release a video. Now, with all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For once we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and a happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Stalker Stories. Right after this intro, an ad will play. I'll read the first story an ad will play, and after that, there will be no more ads within this video. Disclaimer, because of the genre that is selected that I will be reading, some of the content contains foul language or material some may find sensitive or offensive. If that is you, this will not be the video for you. Everyone else, listening discretion is now advised. So, this first started when I first moved into my new place, late summer in 2019. I live with my landlord, her elderly mom, and my friend, Daisy. I also started a new job working night shifts at a hotel, so I was up most nights. I'm going to preface this story with some background information that would help the story make sense. Since my landlord knew her neighbors very well, as she lived in this house all of her life, and there is hardly any street parking, I was able to park my car in the vacant house's driveway, directly parallel across the street from our house. When I park my car, I can see the front of my place with my rearview mirrors. Our house is right in front of a very busy stop sign, so seeing and hearing traffic is something we all had to get used to. Daisy and I identify as women and are best friends that met in college. We've known each other for a few years at this point and did everything together. I remember it was a warm summer Thursday night. Daisy and I loved to leave the house past midnight, eat horrible fast food, roll the windows down, and drive along the coast. It was around 1.45 a.m. as I finally pulled up to my parking spot. We sat in my car for a while, listening to music and finishing the last bit of our late-night munchies. My windows were rolled up by this time, but we could hear a bigger car, like a diesel, approaching the stop sign. Of course, it was a stereotypical white van that prompted me to joke. And <laughs> Daisy, look at that creepy white van. From my rearview mirror, the next thing we knew, we saw what looked like a thin man pick up his camera from the passenger side and took at least five pictures of the front of our house with the flash on. Daisy and I silently looked at each other in horror as the van sped off. The next day, Daisy and I told our landlord about the incident and told us that this was not the first time one of her tenants reported this, though she brushed it off despite us telling her that anyone taking pictures of her house that late at night did not have good intentions. 
really put Daisy and me on edge. Some time had passed as the coronavirus pandemic crept its way into the U.S. towards the end of 2019. I was going to file a police report as I eventually caught most of the person's license plate after what felt like months of investigating. At the beginning of February 2020, the van stopped coming, which caused me to think that the pandemic may have either gotten the person sick or affected them in some way. Although the person did not take any more pictures, as far as I saw. When the van drove by, it came from the same direction every time. 1 to 1.30 a.m. It would stop for an eerily long amount of time and then would speed off out of nowhere as if the person was racing another car that was never there. I did stop investigating after two weeks of nothing. I still get very anxious if I hear a loud diesel-like vehicle drive by late at night. I don't know what the person wanted, why they were taking pictures of my landlord's house. Maybe once the shelter in place is lifted in my county, I might investigate again to ensure that the creep is in fact gone. When I was in high school, probably about 9th or 10th grade, my best friend had a boyfriend that was older and lived barely far away. So he was not from our school or anything. Not sure how she met him. Anyway, when she would spend the night at my house or we would go to the mall or go see a movie, etc., he would often stalk us. We would be in my house and he would drive by slowly. Keep in mind, he lived nowhere near there, so it was no accident. This was while they were dating. I think he wanted to check up on if she was cheating or not on him. He would look to see if my car was at the house, etc. One time, we were at an amusement park that was local, and he just happened to show up there. My friend, bless her heart, was kind of dumb and naive, so she honestly thought it was some random accident he showed up at the same amusement park while we were there. I obviously knew it was intentional. It was pretty annoying that she and I could not do anything without him showing up or following us. I used to talk to him, and he told me he wanted to poke holes in her condoms so he could get her pregnant so she would not leave him. I told her what he said, and she still continued to see him. Finally, she got some sense and decided she wanted to break up with him. Well, that did not go well. She had a grandmother that was elderly and was in early stages of dementia at the time. She lived alone, but only a few minutes from my friend, so they could keep an eye on my grandmother and take care of her. Well, apparently this crazy boyfriend started visiting the elderly grandmother regularly on his own. No one knew what he was doing. Since she was just a confused old woman, he was saying all kinds of things to her and trying to manipulate her. It worked to the point that my grandmother thought he was a great guy and that my friend and her mom and stepdad were awful for treating him badly. The grandmother had some kind of episode where she was yelling at my friend's parents about it and everything. It got to the point they had to take out a restraining order on my friend and the grandmother so he could no longer approach either of them. I am not a scaredy cat, but I was getting a little nervous myself because he did not know where I lived and he knew I probably was one of the ones encouraging her to break up with him. 
I'm worried he might try to retaliate against me. But, luckily for everyone involved, he took a hint and stayed away. But that is truly a shady tactic to manipulate an old innocent woman with dementia into turning on her own daughter and granddaughter and confusing the poor old woman. I worked at a local pizza joint in my small hometown back in 2006. About six months into the job, I had an older man, around 70 years old, come in. He walked up to the counter and had asked me for a soda. He then sat down at a table. A few minutes later, he came back up to the counter and asked what my name was. I told him, as we didn't have name tags on. I didn't think anything of it, and he walked back to his table and sat back down. After 10 minutes, he came back up to the counter and said, What would you say if I were to ask you out on a date? Immediately, I got a bad feeling. I uncontrollably laughed it off and told him no. He then left. A few hours later, I saw him walking back up to the pizza place. I told my coworker, A, that I was uncomfortable and I didn't want to serve him. She agreed with me and I hid in the back while she talked to him. After a few minutes, A came in the back and told me what happened. She said he asked for me, and she told him no one named Courtney works here. He then said, yes, she does. She's 5'3", has purple hair, and she's off on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I had never seen this guy before, but somehow he knew my work schedule. I immediately called my dad. He's an officer, and I wanted to see what I could do. There wasn't anything I could do but avoid him whenever I was working. I let everyone know the situation and how uncomfortable I was. However, whenever he came in, they forced me to handle him. The next time he came in, he was telling me about his 18-year-old girlfriend in the Philippines. He then went to the restroom and was banging around in there for at least an hour, and then he just left. I would occasionally look out the window to see what was going on outside, and I would see him in his car with a newspaper in front of his face, watching me. Everyone would tell him to leave me alone and that I was only 18. He didn't care. He would follow me around the grocery store, which was right next to the pizza place. I got used to all of this. Eventually, he put in a job application at the pizza place. I read the resume. In the experience section, there were a few normal things. However, the last few things sent shivers down my spine. He had listed janitorial experience and chainsaw experience. My coworkers and boss thought this was hilarious, so they put it on the wall, and whenever I didn't perform up to their standard, they said they'd call him and give him the job. I left soon after that. So I'm not sure if he continued to try that with the other girls. A few moments later, I started working at a coonhound rescue. I was talking to a few of my coworkers and brought this guy up. The same exact things happened to them at their previous jobs. Before I begin, I am going to say that I am a 19-year-old man and working a full-time job. I have since moved out of the place that this incident occurred in. What happened took place when I was about 6 years old. 
I lived in a decent neighborhood. We did have the occasional creepy person that would walk or bike by. We also had some apartment buildings where the people living there were heavy into drugs, but didn't bother anyone. They were nice people to talk to and frequently mentioned that they were into that stuff. They never bothered me, so I didn't care. Now, enough with the background. The house I lived in at that point was a very decent size. My dad also built a garage, a huge garage. Now, this is where what happened happened. The garage was huge. It had enough space for three vehicles and rafters on the ceiling for storage for seasonal stuff, Halloween, Christmas, etc. This took place in December. I live in Atlantic, Canada, and in Atlantic, Canada, we got some pretty nasty snowstorms and blizzards. On a day in December, I was being a little kid in the snow when my dad was working the garage on one of his car projects. He had gotten thirsty and went into the house to get a drink. He came back out and asked if I had gone into the garage. I asked why, and he said there's footprints in the snow leading into the garage that he didn't think were his. I said no, and we both thought nothing of it. That evening, my dad and I went to bed early. My mom works late and came home late that night and saw some of my toys that were in the rafters stored away were on the garage floor. She thought nothing of it, moved them, and parked the vehicle in the garage closed the garage door, went into the house, watched some TV, and went to bed. Now, my dad wakes up at 4 a.m. every morning to be at work by 5. The garage door was open when my dad woke up, so naturally he was angry. Wakes everyone up and goes out to the garage, comes back in and is freaking out about a lot of very expensive equipment that was missing. We called the cops. The outside lights were flicked on and we saw those same mysterious footprints leading to the garage earlier, leading into the backyard and into the forestry behind my house. The cops searched the garage and my mom brought up the toys falling from the rafters. The cops asked to borrow a ladder and went up to check. They found a gun, a meat cleaver, three condoms, two of which were used, assuming he masturbated into them. I did not sleep for a week. I was completely terrified. They caught the guy two weeks later trying to sell all of my dad's equipment at a pawn shop. He confessed to everything. He said he broke into other houses on our street. He also stated he watched our house for a whole month to learn all of our routines so he wouldn't get caught. He had the weapons in case he did. He said he jerked off into the condoms when he saw my mom. He is currently serving a 15-year prison sentence. I don't want to know what would have happened if my mom, dad, or I had saw him. June My partner Johnny comes upstairs and finds it cute how I'm checking him out on OKC. I'm confused as I haven't logged in lately, like in months. How could I have been looking at his account? I log in and check it out. There's a list of seven or so people that have been checked out for my account today. Johnny's included and also someone I work with. Well, that's embarrassing. Nope, wasn't me. Time to change my password. 
The next day at work, I was sure to bring it up and laugh about the fact that my OKC account was hacked to the person who was in my viewed list. I didn't want this person thinking I actually looked at his account. We work too closely together, and I already get the impression he may see me as more than his boss. It always pleased him that his luggage tags printed his middle name and his first initial as Chris T. This is not the type of person who should see his name written out like he's God's gift to earth. I'll refer to him as Chris. Chris just laughed off the OKC hacking comment I made. I found it strange he had no questions or comments on the subject. Most people would at least ask you if you changed your password, but nothing from Chris. I brushed off the situation. A few days later, I was out of the office for work. Johnny messages me saying it happened again, that I checked him out on OKC. No, I didn't, but I changed my password again. July. It's a weekend. I'm having a lazy morning in bed with Johnny. I get a Facebook notification. Your account has been logged into from a new location. The IP address points to Chris's hometown. My heart's racing. What the fuck is going on? I take care of the Facebook password and screenshot the notification. Later that night, I get a text from Chris. Happy 4th, boss, lol. I assume he's drunk and worried about being caught having his access to my Facebook revoked so quickly. No, it can't be him doing this. It's just coincidence, right? Johnny is convinced it is Chris. But that means someone I work with on a very small team is targeting me. This will make work nearly impossible. I can't talk to anyone at work about this. I'll have no way to run my department. The situation will get minimized. Chris drank a lot. I'd seen it at work events or when we traveled, just the two of us. He often got out of hand, but everyone brushed it off. He's young. Oh, it was funny. We've all had those nights. But as long as you show up to work the next day, it's fine. I brought it up to him once. Hey, Chris, you need to be more cautious about how much you drink at work events. He didn't speak to me for three days. I offended him, told him that he's not allowed to have fun at work events. He told me when he finally snapped at me. I recoiled. He's three times my size and we're in a secluded space at work. One time while traveling with just us two, I got very sick. I told him I couldn't make it out for dinner, so Chris offered to pick something up from a nearby store. He knocked on my room door and handed me the water he got me. He tried to make small talk as I thanked him and indicated I was going to lay down. It was apparent by his stance in my hotel room doorway, he wanted to come in. He moved an inch closer, and I said goodnight, shut my door, locked every lock I could. It wasn't the only time he made me feel uncomfortable. I hadn't noticed any other accounts being hacked for a while. I was cautious around Chris, even disassociated when I could. I avoided work outings if he was going would back out of lunch plans that he decided to go to once he knew I was going. But we often had to work very closely. We were a team after all. I couldn't do my job without him, and him without me. November. Johnny was online checking out his FetLife account one evening, 
He saw I was also online via the old messenger they used to have. Johnny asks if I'm logged in. I'm not. Again, my heart's racing. It's different this time, though. The violations are beginning to feel commonplace, normal, expected. But this hacking is extreme. No one outside of my FetLife friends knows about this account. Definitely no one I work with, and there's some faceless nude photos of me there. I reached out to FetLife. They gave me the IP address of the last login. It's the same as the Facebook hack. Shit. I can't avoid this anymore. I can't pretend it's just coincidences anymore, but I need proof it's Chris. All I have is an IP address and intuition. I can't take that to HR. The police, maybe? Will they help, or will it make matters worse if they need to contact my employer? I start looking into the login history of my account that tracks it, my bank account. Why is there an iPhone logging into it daily? I don't have an iPhone, but Chris does. Shit. This is real. This is happening. I don't know what to do. I'll call the bank while at work and ask them about the unknown login. Chris is at his desk right next to me. The conversation is easily overheard. I hang up with the bank. They can't help me. Chris didn't say a thing. Under normal conditions, a co-worker would inquire, Wow, is everything okay? Did you change your password? Did any money go missing? Nothing from him, though. So out of character. He's always interested in my personal life. The next weekend, I wake up to a phone call. The caller is calling from my phone number. My heart skips a beat, but I answer. No one responds. I just hear breathing. That's it. I've had it. I'm losing my fucking sanity. I spent weeks, months, researching IP addresses and how I might be able to use the only info I have. I've lost sleep. I can't focus at work. Johnny is worried about me and my safety. I am too. But what can I do? Johnny suggests we go to the police. I don't want to, but I'm at a dead end. I reluctantly agree. The officer is kinder and more receptive to my situation than I expected. This serves as a reminder to me that this is a big deal. I shouldn't minimize it in my own thoughts. She takes the report, every single detail. They will use the IP to subpoena the ISP. Weeks go by. The officer on my case claims there's no crime. The ISP records were never obtained. December. My work email keeps doing this strange thing. Messages I've read keep being marked as unread. Weird. Is it him or just the multiple devices I use to check it on? I don't know. I can't tell. The server doesn't keep a login history that I can see. Should I talk to IT? I know them well. They will help. I hope. But that would make this situation real and known at work. No, not yet. I cannot bring myself to do it. I can't do this anymore. My heart is constantly racing. The slightest noise sends me into a panic. I get a security camera from my front door and worry a bit less when I hear the door slam from the wind or when the dog's barking at something they hear. I'm becoming 
comfortable living in fear, as much as it's impacting my health. At least I have the pepper spray Johnny got me. I carry it whenever I'm outside. Chris and I have a shared account we use for work. Maybe I can get an IP address from that. If it matches, that's some proof, right? Nope. Dead end. What if I send him an IP tracker? I've learned you can place an invisible pixel in an email. It will send you the IP address of where it was read. All I have of Chris's is his work email and a Gmail. I test both, on myself first, of course. I can't take the risk of him figuring out I'm onto him. Damn it. Our work email blocks this shit, and Gmail reroutes to their headquarters. Another dead end. More hours, days, weeks pass. I've called private investigators. They are impressed I've tracked the tactics they already have at their disposal. I feel confident that I'm doing all I can, but more or less lost that the professionals can't help. February. One last attempt. It's a week before I have a seven-day out-of-country trip with Chris. It's with a large group this time, but I'll still be working very close, too close with him. I send Chris an email with a shortened link that will track what IP address it was clicked on from. I've tested this, and it seems to work, but I'm shaking. What if this tips him off? What if he knows I'm onto him and he attacks me at work? What do I send him to get him to click? I found a local event that this particular breed of neckbeard would be interested in. Hey, Chris, saw this and thought you'd be interested. Five minutes later, Chris replies, pure panic. No, excitement maybe. A mix of both sets in. I don't care what the reply says. I check the IP tracker. It got a hit. I'm shaking. I can barely type or hold my phone. It's the same IP address as the Facebook and FetLife hack. I got it. I have the proof I need. It's Chris who's been stalking me via my account. My intuition was right. As much as I didn't want it to be confirmed as him, it is. There's relief. A weight's been removed. But then it sets back in. What do I do now? Go to HR, back to the police. We've got a trip coming up. I need my team there to do the job. I'll wait till after I get back. It's not that bad. I'm used to living like this now. Johnny thinks I'm insane for considering it. He's right, I am. I've lost touch with reality. This situation has me unable to determine what levels of uncomfortable one can and should live with. A night of debate and I've made my decision. I won't wait. I'll do it now. I text my boss, Jay, the next day, asking him to meet me for lunch on Sunday. I need to talk to you away from the office. This is not a normal request. We're close at work, but this is bizarre to him. He tells me I'm scaring him. I wish I can tell him, don't worry. The following day, we meet for lunch. I'm so nervous I could vomit. This is it. This makes this all real now. I tell him everything. I'm worried he may minimize the issue. Chris is just a kid. He didn't mean anything. Uh, I'll talk to him tomorrow. After I finish speaking, Jay is at a loss for words. 
We have a plan in place to take this to HR tomorrow, and he's already helping me find someone to replace Chris on our work trip. Again, I'm relieved and nervous at the same time. Shit is going down tomorrow. Seven months of living in fear, and finally, I can see an end. Monday. My pepper spray is in my pocket. I picked out a work outfit that could conceal it today. Jay calls me, asks me a question. I don't remember what, but I take it as an invitation to go to the office. Anything to get away from the person I now know, without a doubt, has been hacking and stalking me. Jay wasn't expecting me, but understood. The department head is in his office. Jay is about to inform him of my situation. Having my story told by a third party was surreal. I filled in the details where needed and gave them the folder of evidence I had collected to take to HR. Screenshots, IP address, written accounts of the timeline up until this point, the emails from Chris confirming his involvement, and the info from the IP tracker. The day is a haze. I was at HR's office at least twice, saw the police drive through the campus, and had to fight my way with the HR director. He didn't feel I had enough evidence to prove the email I sent to Chris's Gmail was actually the Chris that worked here. I dug through my work email. Bam! He emailed my work email from his email account once. Enough evidence for a non-believer. Hours go by. It's almost 3 p.m. What the fuck is going on? If I keep leaving my desk, Chris will know something's up. I can't call HR and ask. He'll hear the conversation. Chris walks over to me. Oh, shit, he says. He's shoving his work phone in my face, too close for comfort. He got an invite to go to HR at 4 p.m. I'm screaming inside. No one else is around. If he's going to do something to me, now is the time. That notice is the forewarning of being fired. That's how they do it at my job. I manage to look concerned and tell him, I'll let you know if I get one. Insinuating maybe our team is being let go, not just you. He walks away, no idea where to. I sit at my desk, shaking in fear. I don't know when he will return. How could HR betray me like this? They know the situation. Damn it. They should have warned me they were about to send it. I could have fled. I could have gone somewhere safe. Mike stops by my desk just to say hi and offer me some leftover catering. I cannot eat right now. But in this moment, Mike has offered me so much more than the leftovers. He has no idea of what's going on, but can see in my face something is very wrong. I ask to walk back to his office with him. Chris will never find me there. An hour or forever passes by. It's got to be done by now. I know Chris will be escorted back to gather his things. I do not want to be there for that. I sneak to Jay's office. He checks the area for me. Chris is gone. Jay heard from HR. As per HR, I am not allowed to speak to anyone as to why Chris was fired. What the fuck? Are you serious? This leaves me so vulnerable. If Chris decides to come back to work, no one would stop him. In fact, they would welcome him with open arms, and I'm left looking like the bitch that fired the nice, quiet kid. That week. The IT department took a few extra days to gather Chris's devices. I had time to look through them during that period. 
The days before our trip was one of so much discovery. Not just what I found on his computer, but what I learned from the people around me. The day after he was fired, I looked into his laptop. IT had no issues getting me into his files. I saw Chris's boss and I needed his work. His pictures folder, a lot of personal stuff, stupid memes, vacation pictures, screenshots of the naked cam girls he chatted with, and of course, me. Some pictures I had never seen before, some I had. The pictures I was familiar with were from a cruise I went on months earlier with Johnny. Only these were the ones I deleted. I had a GoPro set to take pictures every 10 seconds that hung from my wrist. While walking around, I inadvertently took close-ups of my ass in a swimsuit. Upon importing my vacation pictures, I deleted those from my computer. Were they still on the card? Then there were some pictures from my Google accounts. Well, it was a picture of a picture on a screen. He got into my Google account too? Why didn't I catch that one? Then the ones I had never seen. Pictures that had been taken around the office and on work trips. Me at my desk. Me bent over setting up gear. A close-up of a hint of cleavage shot from above. His phone was more of the same. A close-up of my ass while he sat behind me. Me struggling with an AV rack in a closet while in a dress. Video from under a table during a meeting while I'm wearing a skirt. Zoomed in, upskirt photos, pictures of dates I had written on a post-it, pictures of my phone settings showing my FetLife account. The nausea sets in again. I remember all these moments in the pictures he'd taken of me. Him nonchalantly on his phone, looking like his slacking off or answering an email. Little did I know he was filling his spank bank with images of me during work hours and keeping a record of my days off. What a fucking creep. I got to his browser history. It was sickening. He researched how to hack someone's text messages. He stalked friends of mine on Facebook, as well as my partner. He got into my Amazon, Gmail, Facebook, FetLife, work email, OKC, and my bank account. He read old emails of past relationships, looked at the places I visit, and stalked images from events I go to. There was hard evidence now. I took it to the local police near work. They couldn't handle it, so I went to the county prosecutor's office. Most people wouldn't think of that. I was suggested by Johnny's friends. They had a computer forensics department and could handle the case. I met with an amazing detective. He took my packet of evidence and listened to the entire story. It's becoming easier to tell the story, especially when it's to focus on the facts. At my office, I learned more about Chris, how he slandered me to my co-workers. I knew I couldn't tell the people I worked with why Chris was fired, but for my safety, I knew I had to tell a few people, just the ones close to me. Once they knew the story, I heard things from them like Chris would complain I didn't pay him enough. He lied and said he made half of what he actually did to my coworkers. I even fought to get him above normal raises for two years. He lied and said I would withhold work from him. They usually responded to him by telling him to talk to my bosses or HR. Obviously, he never did. You can't take lies to HR and directors. 
He spread lies around the office, coercing co-workers to take his side, when I wasn't aware there were sides to be had. From these people, I learned more about the obsession Chris had with me. He craved to have power over me. He showed them my FetLife profile. He bragged about how compatible we are on OKC. He even spoke about being obsessed with my partner. He told them how he tried to catfish me on Reddit. I couldn't blame him though. Chris laid the groundwork and a bit of gaslighting on them. To them, I was a bad person and Chris was their friend. Chris was really good at playing the victim and never was able to take any self-responsibility. Nine months went by. I followed up with the detective often. It took a while to subpoena his devices from my company, then run forensics. In early September, I got a call from the detective. They arrested Chris. They showed up early morning at his home where he still lived with his parents and admitted to everything. He took the card from the GoPro and recovered the images. He got my passwords once while I walked away from my computer. He went through my phone when it was left at my desk. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. The shock to his family of the type of person he actually is. Him cowering while in handcuffs. Face to face with what he had done. Hmm. No hiding behind a computer screen now anymore. Asshole. I was on vacation when this happened. I remember thinking, it's not long now till everyone at work will know. He's got a court date set. By then, it's public record. I can't help if people know after that point. I didn't have to wait that long, though. Later that day, co-workers started sending me a link. Hey, didn't you work with this guy? What a creep. The link was to the county prosecutor's PR page announcing Chris's arrest mugshot and all. I came back to work and was able to have the truth come out. It was liberating. It took another nine months for his final court date. I worked with prosecutors during that time to determine how I wanted to proceed. I opted for a probation period instead of going through a trial and fighting for jail time. While Chris deserves the jail time, it wasn't worth my time nor effort and a trial would offer him a slim chance of getting off scot-free. Also, this way he would get some much-needed counseling. Three years, no contact with me. Three years, sexual offense counseling. Three years of checking in with a probation officer. This way I can at least hope he will come out understanding that what he did was unacceptable and, fingers crossed, will never do it to another living being again. I knew there was no chance of rehab in jail. The hearing. I, of course, was nervous. I didn't want to see Chris, but I knew whatever I was feeling, he was feeling a thousand times worse. I didn't have to go, but knew I would regret it if I didn't. With my fiancé Johnny at my side, I watched as he got up in front of the judge after he cried in a courtroom and agreed to the terms of a sentence. His mom glared at me the whole time as though it was my fault. Hmm, so that's where he gets it from. Oh well, enjoy your probation, Chris. Around a year, maybe a year and a half ago, I was using an app called Whisper to help with making friends after getting out of high school. I was 19 at the time. 
had a really nice boyfriend, etc. I'd used Whisper before and actually made two to three friends during my senior year and also found a friend of mine's boyfriend cheating using Whisper. So, safe to say this app can be a handful sometimes. I put out a Whisper asking for someone to talk to and of course got a ton of replies but I couldn't get to all of them but I messaged some more interesting ones back. This guy named Jack started messaging me and seemed really nice. He said he was 23 and actually lived 8 minutes from my house. If you used Whisper, you would know you can search by area or go into a general section and see thousands of Whispers being uploaded that you could reply to. You can also send photos instantly after 4 messages for some reason. As soon as we messaged 4 times, he sent me a selfie. And I was surprised, but didn't really respond about it. Jack was telling me how he worked for a towing company in a neighboring town. How he would have to go use the interstate to go places. All that. Remember the interstate for later. At the time, I didn't have a job because my mother was sick, and so I would use my laptop out in the kitchen at the table to watch streams and play some games in case she needed me at any point. I remember watching my friends stream talking to my friends, and generally just having a good time, until I got a text from Jack. Now, I never gave him my address, never even really explained where I lived, not to mention the church, the interstate, anything near me. But he texted me saying, hey, look out the window. I thought maybe something happened on the interstate, but then I remembered I never told him how close that was to me but I assume maybe he just guessed I live nearby. I see a tow truck right outside my house with a car that broke down or something. My blood ran cold. He was at the truck waving. Also very inappropriate while working, but that's besides the point. I started shaking due to having some bad anxiety. I ended up having an anxiety attack. How did he know where I lived? I replied asking what he meant, and he said, Well, you're home, aren't you? I didn't respond, went back to the stream I had up, and started typing to my friends, freaking out to them and causing them to panic as well. I didn't want to call the cops because my cousin is one, and so is one of my friends. As soon as anything was heard about it, I thought I'd be in deep shit for it, so I just ignored him. Then... He sent me a dick pic on the app. I was disgusted and deleted the post and messages from Whisper. I also blocked him. The next day, an unknown number texted me, and I figured out it was him. I ignored it, and then I got a restricted phone call, and I picked it up. Big mistake. I was out in the garage with my cat. She's a stray. And this voice on the other end said, Hey... You look so sexy right now. Want to go for ice cream down the road? I looked out the door that was next to me, and I see him in his car, driving slow, keeping his eyes locked onto me. I jumped up and ran inside after hanging up, running to my room so I could feel comforted by my blankets in bed. I was petrified. I got a job soon after at Subway, and he would come in and start harassing me texting me on random numbers since I would block them all. I felt paranoid all the time knowing he seemed to know where I was at all times. 
One day, my, now ex, boyfriend ended up texting him. I had given him his original number that I got just in case anything had happened since I blocked it. Furiously telling him to leave me the hell alone, stop stalking me and everything else. I never got a message after that, but I'm still paranoid. He is still watching me. When I was 15, Ray William Johnson was the most subscribed to channel on YouTube. I feel it necessary to say now that he was not the YouTuber this story is about, but I feel this is important to include for context. Doing some research for this post, he was the first YouTube channel to ever reach 5 million subscribers, so he was very popular at the time. In his show, he reviewed viral videos, and as a teenager, it was one of my favorite things to watch. Every week, he picked one subscriber video to provide the comment question of the week, to which his subscribers would provide responses in the comment section. A friend and I thought we had a great question, featuring her new baby, Iguana, to ask and send it in every week after filming it. By the fourth or fifth week, our video was selected and aired on that week's show. In hindsight, there definitely wasn't that much traffic coming into my account, but at the time, it felt like it. I had 30-some messages in my message box at a time and quite a few comments on the original video. I can confidently say let's not meet to anyone in that comment section, garnering such classy comments as, and these are exact quotes, copy and pasted. I'd tap the both of you at the same time. I would do both, and the iguana can watch. I'd totally do the girl on the left. And of course the classic, I love you, girl on the left. Ugh, gross. My friend at the time was 13 years old, and my message box did not look much different. Now, as a teenager with low self-esteem, I was so pleased with a lot of this new attention. I was actually taking the time to respond to a lot of my messages, ignoring the disgusting ones, thanking people for congratulating me on getting picked, and occasionally starting up a conversation with some internet strangers. One of the most common questions I got asked after this video was, how old are you? And of course, I offered up that information because, why wouldn't I? One specific person sticks out because he continued talking to me, consistently. Every day I would have messages from him and I would respond. He was just chatting, just being nice, I thought. He had a YouTube account, small but had a couple thousand subscribers. Having had 11 myself, all of which being my friends, I thought it was so cool that his channel was successful. He asked me how old I was. I told him 15. He told me he was 21. It was initially quite a tame conversation, but after a few weeks, he asked me for my phone number. I'm naive. I gave it to him because he was nice, and he didn't live anywhere near me. From what he told me, we lived several states away. Then he texted me. All the time. He tried calling me. Around here is where I started getting creeped out. He began talking about wanting to meet me. Now, at this point, I'd seen to catch a predator in school, and I started getting somewhat suspicious. 
I never gave him more information than the state I lived in in my first name. That seemed innocent enough. But he started getting flirty and creepy and generally uncomfortable to talk to. I slowly stopped responding, ignored the phone calls, said I was busy. Then he found my social media account and tried talking to me there. I told him I'd gotten a boyfriend. That was a lie. But he still sent me some generally discomforting messages, especially looking back. This guy made me so uncomfortable that even thinking about it now or seeing his username makes me feel nauseated and tense. The message that really got me, the one that finally scared me enough, and the one that I actually can remember after all these years said, I'm going to come to Ohio and find you, and when I finally do, I'm going to hug you so hard. I'm going to squeeze and squeeze until your eyes pop out of your little head. I never told my parents about this, but I was lucky enough to be able to get my phone number changed. I started getting paranoid he would find me, checking the locks, closing the curtains. I removed him on social media, changed my usernames and display names to make myself harder to find, because, you know, I was a teenager, and my priorities were to be in contact with my actual friends all the time. Surprisingly, it got quiet for a while, and slowly I gained some feelings of safety back. I actually even started a new YouTube channel at the recommendation of some friends and started putting myself out there again, doing more media production, which I love, and garnering a small following of around 1,200 strangers, none of whom have ever made me feel so unsafe, thankfully. A few years down the road, I was starting freshman year of college, I had just turned 18, and wouldn't you know, he found me again, followed me on social media, sent me messages again, posted some comments on my old YouTube channel all at once. I felt absolutely sick. I remembered all the creepy messages and unsettling feelings and just generally breathlessness I had when he started telling me he would find me and he was coming for me. I had a brief panic attack before swiftly blocking him on everything. My profile pictures were me at my new college, wearing the gear and everything. I would have been significantly easier to find now, and I knew that. I hardly made any friends the first year at college. I didn't leave my room much after that happened. I never went to parties. I scarcely made any friends. Every so often, I remembered the experience and got sick. This is one of those times. I've since graduated. I've moved far away with my boyfriend. I still check my locks and curtains aggressively every night, sometimes three and four times, even if I'm sure I've done it. What I'll never understand is how a grown man at 21 would be so interested in a 15-year-old girl and especially still be interested after several years. Maybe he waited until I was legal. I don't know. The entire memory disgusts me. He still posts to that YouTube channel, and all I can think about is how he tried to get with me when I was a minor, a child. He was a predator. He took away my sense of safety, and up to this point, he's certainly on my top 10 list of people with whom I hope I never have to encounter again.
Just over a year ago, I split up with a very abusive ex-boyfriend, Kieran. He would be physically, verbally, and sexually aggressive and seemed constantly paranoid of being emasculated. This progressed to being paranoid about me, even earning as much as him. I tried to be clear that I saw him as an equal, but it didn't matter. He fell further and further into this philosophy that women are the root of all evil. If ever there was a living, breathing caricature of genuine misogyny, he was it. I'm not a fighter, and he hated it. As he put it, the silence, the open void hurts me more. He wanted me to fight back, but I never would. So he would go to greater and greater lengths to assert dominance over me, one way or another. Violence isn't the focus of the story, but a small part. One incident was so extremely violent and calculated that I eventually reported it to the police with the help of an off-duty copper. Due to the nature of the assault, I went straight to the Crown Court, reserved for the worst offenses in the UK. Nothing came of it. With no eyewitnesses, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. I pressed no further. I just wanted it marked up to help any future partners build a case that puts him away, if it ever happens again. This was the incident that tipped me towards making the decision to leave Kieran. It took some months, but I eventually did it. He made so many attempts to contact me that even the officer on the case raised his eyebrows. It was getting beyond borderline harassment. Long story short, the guy was not happy that he had lost me. He didn't care about my well-being. He cared about having me. I don't think I understand why, still to this day. Kieran kept vying for my attention. He likes women of my political persuasion, and as I was a known and outspoken activist at the time, he began name-dropping me in messages to other women in the same political circles. I thought that maybe he didn't think we knew each other, at first. But then he started messaging friends. I tried to be cordial with all former partners, including him. So when he messaged me asking if another activist we followed was still online, I told him she was. Big mistake. Within the hour, she DM'd me. She received aggressive messages from him demanding photos and then demanding an explanation as to why she wouldn't oblige. Because Kieran now was my nice ex. I quickly told all other young female activists at my university in my hometown and local party associations. Almost all came back to me saying they had indeed received messages from him. He was hounded off of Twitter by a friend's boyfriend and deleted his account. I know how that feels and I feel bad for it, but I don't regret the act of warning my friends, especially the more vulnerable ones. But... Then a new account was made, Kieran Mate 97 I only noticed because the first notification I remember getting the morning after was that this account had followed me. It had a photo of Kieran and a few sunny tweets shared by my follows and followers about how he was new to Twitter and wanted some friends. I spread the warning to the same people and blocked the account, but before long there was another. I did the same and blocked that one too. 
My mother started messaging me in confusion, sending me screenshots from her own Twitter. Kieran had found her anonymous account, and he was asking her about beans she had bought the other day. Knowing the things that Kieran had said about her to me, and possibly others, she was upset and creeped out beyond compare. I advised she block him. He would tire himself out eventually. But I forgot something. One night I was messaging friends, having a nice night in with my housemates. Then my WhatsApp pinged. All of my family are on there, as well as a few busy activist groups. So I didn't think anything of it. Because of all the activist groups, too, I wasn't ashamed that it was an unsaved number that had messaged me. It was probably a colleague. I opened the message. The only thing there was a dark photo of a house with an upstairs light on. I squinted, trying to look for the joke in the photo. Why would someone send me this? I could see a figure in the window, hunched over something small in their hand. I could see the end of the terrace, the hedges, the shape of the gate, the pebble dash, the light car out front. It was my house. I forgot my merriment and messaged my friends. The conversation completely derailed, understandably. We scrambled to figure out who sent this to me, but by the time the picture came in, I already knew. I didn't even look at it. Most of my uni friends at the time were competitive weightlifters, and they offered their house as a safe refuge until I figured out what was happening. I sent a frantic, What the fuck are you doing? to Kieran. He started typing immediately. He'd been waiting. I'm peeking, he replied. It was a joke. Can you see that shadow? I'm not a bloody peeping Tom. I thought it was a joke when you first scared me shitless, but I can't make sense of it. Oh no, that was me just actually watching my neighbor's shadow eat a pot of noodles for entertainment, as if I'd come for you. You know how I think better than anyone. I examined the second picture closely. It wasn't mine, but it looked very much like it. He hasn't texted me since. No Facebook messages, no WhatsApp, no calls. To this day, I still don't understand what the purpose of that whole exercise was. I stayed in my house and left in the early afternoon for my friend's place the next day. For months afterwards, I was very careful about letting my landlady, neighbors, and friends know I was coming home. The doors and windows are always locked. I really don't know how he thinks, and I hope I never do. For some background information here, I'm a female on a volunteer fire department, and this happened a few years ago when I was 20. During our drills at my former department, our bay doors are open, so people have been known to walk by and talk to us, ask us questions, and just look at the trucks. One evening, this dude, a 23-year-old male, strolls by, a fellow firefighter from another town, which isn't uncommon. Firemen stopped by other departments all the time when in town. He made his rounds and was talking to my chief, my captain, the young guys, and he made his way over to me and started chatting me up. He was a nice guy and good-looking enough we exchanged Snapchats, and it didn't take long to figure out 
what a psycho he was. After a week of talking, he messaged me saying, So, how come you didn't swipe right? Confused, I asked him what he meant, and then this unfolded. He told me all of this is an attempt to impress me with how devoted he was. He found me on a dating app using my picture from the dating app to find my Facebook, since in one photo I'm wearing a uniform that had my last name. That was definitely my bad. He then used my profile picture to find out what fire department I was on by looking closely at the fire truck in the background. He told me he walked by my department almost every day to see when we drilled and to spot me. As he is telling me this, I'm confused as hell and he goes, I'm having a pretty rough day. Mind if I come over? Cue to him telling me he's on his way. He used my Snapchat location to find my work and house. My location on everything is now off. When he came to my house, he brought a love letter and gifts. He said he was sorry and confused and just really wanted things to work out. I told him that he needed to leave and never speak to me again, to which he obliged by leaving saying if that would make me happy. He made maybe three to four new Snapchat and Facebook profiles in an attempt to add me back. At one point, he got clever and made his Snapchat username ChrisSmith1990 which made me go, hey, it's my friend Chris Smith. Lo and behold, it wasn't Chris Smith. Once I realized it wasn't my friend, but instead the psycho, he asked what I could do to make it up. I texted, get lost, and go set yourself on fire. I then got a video of him walking in the woods, and then he set himself on fire. He flickered a lighter over his hand, and I thought, yeah, ha ha, okay. And then his entire hand and arm lit up, followed by screaming, and it cut out. I started to freak out thinking, well, fuck, and immediately got a photo of the hairs on his knuckles burnt off and his burnt shirt. He was okay and coated his arm in something flammable, but something that wouldn't actually damage him. Blocked again. He fucked off after coming to my house again and I had a gun in my hand and told him to stop or the cops would be involved. But to be fair, it wasn't loaded. I didn't know how to use it and I was planning on swinging the thing if it really got bad. After ignoring him for some time longer, he finally stopped messaging me. To preface this, I work night shift at Walmart. My shifts are almost always 10 p.m. to 7 a.m., except in these first few months of the year, when they are cutting back our hours and I sometimes start at 11 p.m. or leave at 6 a.m. Late last year, I'd say around September when the weather was still nice outside, I'm only guessing because I remember I was wearing yogas and a t-shirt, I went into Walmart during the day to buy some groceries. I had a few things in my basket and was walking from the back of the store towards the self-checkout area. I noticed out of my peripherals that a man, probably mid-twenties, a little taller than me and wearing a baseball cap, was approaching me from the other side of the features, those promo displays that sit in the middle of the big aisles. When he was close, he started talking to me like we were acquaintances. 
I see people I know all the time when I'm here. Oh? I ask, assuming he'd seen me there in the mornings while I was working. Yeah, it's weird how every often I'm here I'd see the same people all the time. He kept rephrasing himself and I didn't really know what to say, as it was pretty awkward. He kept making small talk as I didn't stop walking to the self-checkout and was kind of just going along with the conversation, like you do when some random person is talking about the weather. Now that I look back on it, when he told me he sees the same people all the time, I thought he looked a little familiar and assumed he was a bender and worked some mornings there, and I mistakenly mentioned I work there and also see the same faces. Then he told me to have a nice day, and I checked out and went to my car, dismissing the interaction. A lot of fellow employees greet me at Walmart when I go there during the day, so I didn't really think much of it. Then it got super weird, super fast. I was just leaving the parking lot, and the exiting road splits into a left turn only lane, and the other a straightaway. I was turning, stopped, when this white Ford Explorer pulls up next to me and beeps loudly. I was already turning, but I looked into my rear view, and surely enough, it was that guy from earlier. I recognized his face and his baseball cap. He said at the stop, watching me pull away. Alright, a little weird, but he's probably just being friendly. When I got home, I told my boyfriend, and he immediately thought it was strange, and then said I was wrong for even engaging in conversation with this man because guys get the wrong idea. My boyfriend also works with me on my shift, but his car has a blown head, so we've just been using mine to commute back and forth from work. So, on nights I don't work, my car is still there if he works. Keep in mind that, as employees, we aren't allowed to park close to the store. We are limited to parking at the far end of the lot or in front of other stores in the shopping center. I have a typical spot. I always park in front of the AT&T place, which is next to the gym, which is next to Walmart. About two months ago, my boyfriend said he went to walk out to the car on break and saw the white Ford Explorer parked next to it. The guy was sitting inside. When he saw my boyfriend, he left. This happened again in the same month, except my boyfriend was sitting in the car, and the white Ford Explorer drove up to Walmart, then passed my boyfriend, staring at him. Then, last month, I was driving home from work. It was barely 7 a.m., still pretty dark outside, and I was cruising down the highway towards the exit from my town. There was a car following two lengths behind me, and we were both doing the speed limit. Nothing abnormal. Suddenly, this car begins to speed up, gets in the fast lane as if to pass me, but slows down so that we are neck and neck. The driver turns on his interior light, waves at me, and then speeds off. It was the guy in the white Ford Explorer. I just stared at him, bewildered. I didn't know what to think. Then it dawned on me. He knows where I work. He knows what my car looks like. It's pretty distinguishable even from the back. I have shark fins along the top, decals, mud flaps, etc. He was probably waiting for me to leave work, then followed my car when I left. Thank God he didn't follow me home because I never would have realized it. 
I was even totally unsuspecting when I walked out to my car, alone. Now, what happened a couple days ago is why I'm even writing this. I think this is starting to escalate. It was a typical night both my boyfriend and I worked, along with our co-worker and friend. I'll call him Mark. When Mark works, we always park next to him so we can talk on lunch and breaks with the windows rolled down. Mark parks farther away from the store, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. So we finished up the night, clock out, and Mark heads out to his car while boyfriend and I buy some stuff to make for dinner. After checking out and heading to the car, Mark is still there, which is unusual for him since he books it out of there like a bat out of hell every morning, with his window down. Hey man, did you get my text? He calls out, smoking a cigarette. Nah, let me check my phone. My boyfriend pulls out his phone and I see a pretty long unread text for Mark. Pretty much, this weird guy came out of nowhere and was touching himself and looking at the inside of your girlfriend's car, Mark said. My immediate thought was, some random likes my car enough to come up and touch himself and touch it? Weird, but okay. Like, he just walked up and started touching the fins and looking inside it. Then, when he saw me sitting here, he asked me about the decorations. I told him I didn't know anything about them, and then he told me, have a nice day. We immediately started checking for damages, slash tires, etc. Nothing. We get in the car and the three of us just sit there contemplating the reasoning behind this. The Ford Explorer guy had almost slipped my mind. His encounters were a month or more apart. But then I started thinking about him again. There were two cars parked near us. A white 2010 Pontiac G6 and surely enough a white Ford Explorer. Up until this point I didn't know the make of the car he drove. but. I knew it was definitely a white SUV. Mark said he came from the direction of those two cars, so unless he walked to Walmart at 7 a.m., one of those cars was his. The Explorer was facing the opposite direction, and I quickly wrote down the plate number. I started asking Mark what the guy looked like. Hmm, about your boyfriend's height, kind of a gangster-looking guy? Keep in mind, I've only seen the guy once, when he wasn't in his car which was like four months prior to this. The height sounded right, but I don't really know. We decided to sit there and wait until this guy came out and confront him. Just as we were about to give up and leave, a guy starts walking our way out of Walmart. He was wearing a black hoodie, dark jeans, and a camo bandana. When he saw us, he put his sunglasses on. Both of us looked towards Mark. Is that him? Is that the guy? N no, no, that's not him. Mark shook his head. The guy walks to the Explorer, sits in the driver's seat, lights a cigarette with the door open. After he closed it, I looked back to Mark. Are you sure it's not him? Yeah, it's him. That's the guy. Mark nodded. Explorer guy started his car and looped around our cars, staring at us, then looped again to exit the parking lot. Mark said he didn't want to tell us it was the guy because he didn't want my boyfriend to lose his job. I'm pretty sure if Mark would have told us it was the guy, then some shit would have gone down. 
I'm pretty positive now that this guy has been stalking me for how long, I don't know. I'm starting to think maybe even before he approached me that day at Walmart. It's obvious that the guy drove to Walmart. I want to assume to buy shit, but since he walked out with nothing, I don't know if he was looking for me in the store or what. Saw my car, parked next to it, then realized while he was casing my car that Mark was sitting there. So he asks Mark about the shark fins to try and make him think he was interested in how it looked and not being completely shady. I'm creeped the fuck out, but I have his license plate number. This morning before we left work, my boyfriend bought me pepper spray, and I am now parking elsewhere, and I'm going to start asking co-workers if they'll walk to my car in the mornings when I'm alone. I don't know what else I can do or if anyone would take this seriously because he hasn't tried anything yet. I'm unfortunately a pretty dainty girl, too brave for my own good, and I couldn't fight my way out of a wet paper bag. I'm thinking this definitely isn't over yet. Ah, uh, yes, here's a quick update. So, last night I was stalking yogurt alone at around 12.30 a.m. when I hear an excuse me behind me. Thinking it's a typical customer with a question, I turned around while politely replying, yes? When I fully turned around, it took me a second to realize who was approaching me. The guy that's been stalking me. I know that my facial expression probably spoke volumes about my fear for a few seconds, but I didn't want to alarm or upset him. So I kept calm and talked to him like I would any other customer. I'm not a stalker or anything, he prefaced. But I was just wondering where you got those decorations for your car. I see it a lot and I'm just curious. Uh, I get them off eBay? Before I could finish, he interrupted me, trying to keep the conversation going, I guess. Do you know what they're called? Um, I'm pretty sure they're called diffusers because they are meant to diffuse airflow on the car. I got them off eBay, 20 bucks for the whole set. Okay, thanks. You have a nice night. He smiled and walked away. What the fuck? I'm not a stalker or anything? Yeah, dude, you fucking are. I think I was in shock because there's no way I should have been that calm and nonchalant while talking to him. I know for a damn fact he's just trying to cover his ass since we pretty much caught him waiting for me to walk out to my car alone after work that day. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to these true stalker stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, remember, please... Take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.